This is Ian Hartley. And I'm Warren Kay. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see Him more clearly, love Him more dearly, and follow Him more nearly. Good morning, Ian. Hello, Warren. It's good to be with you today. I just want to remind the listeners to our podcast that they can join us in a live discussion on Monday nights at 8 o'clock Mountain Standard Time on Zoom by dialing in or uh, putting in the number 403-506-9201. And you can join us for a great discussion where people bring their questions and observations and we just have a good time visiting together. Mm -hmm. And since you're doing commercials, I'd like to also do one. Um, if you go to the uh, uh, website, rediscoveringgod.ca, you'll find the documents that form the basis of these podcasts. Yes, uh, with each one, there is a PDF document. Uh, so if you click on that, you will be able to download that document and uh, have all the information there. So, um, Today, we're on to talking about justice. Yes. You know anybody called justice? I do. Yeah. I don't know if he's just, but his name was justice. Yeah. I know a few people by the name of justice. Um, so um, I often hear people, victims, uh, crying out for justice. And... Uh, President Bush vowed that he would bring the perpetrators of the destruction of the Twin Towers to justice. Yes. Uh, which meant hunting them down. So, so um, I was just looking at a book this morning written by someone called Joy Swift. Uh, and three of her children were gunned down by a teenager. Mm. And uh, she's tells of how she goes to the parole hearing every year or two and fights to keep the perpetrator behind bars. So for her, justice is keeping the perpetrator behind bars. Yes. So if, if that's what justice is, what on earth do we have to talk about today? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, but I'm sure you'll come up with something. <laughs> so I... You know, um, I wrote an essay on justice that had its origins decades ago uh, when I read that justice and mercy kissed at the cross. And I puzzled about that statement for literally many decades. I, I just couldn't understand what was behind that statement. I think I do now. Okay. So we'll talk about that as we go through the podcast. Right. So let's have a look at the traditional definition of God's justice. Okay. Uh, what does it mean when you read the Old Testament? It usually means that uh, God is not going to allow evil to continue forever and that he'll bring an end to it with overwhelming violence. And yeah. in the New Testament, this violent end is pictured as a lake of fire in which the wicked are apparently tortured for eternity. 
on the surface reading. And uh, when I when I ask uh, well-meaning Christians, Christian pastors, so how does that fit with God being a God of love? Uh, their uh, answer is usually, well, if God wants to do it, uh, it's okay with me. I'm not going to question God. Right. God cannot be questioned. He is um, supreme, and uh, whatever he chooses to do is, is okay. Yeah. Uh, that commonly is called the sovereignty of God. Yes. So I looked at the uh, uh, word justice, concept, the justice of God, up in a few Bible dictionaries. And I'd like to just quote from Eston's Bible Dictionary. Uh, he goes on at uh, quite length, but he ends up by saying this. God's essential and eternal righteousness immutably determines him to visit every sin as such with merited punishment. So he's saying God has no choice because of who he is. He has to punish every sin. Yeah, because of his righteousness. Yeah. So that uh, idea has come down or is common uh, in most Christian denominations that I've read um, that God's righteous, so he must punish evil uh, as Moses said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, this is what really surprises me, Warren, is how casually we treat Jesus in terms of his morality. Because Jesus quotes an eye for an eye. He says, you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, do not resist an evil person. Now, this isn't some New Testament prophet speaking. Um, this is God himself, as Matthew records it uh, in chapter 5. And we just seem to pass over this and uh, keep going with this thing, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, it's true. We do. And um, I think it's because an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth fits with what we uh, think should happen. It's congruent with the way we are made, and, and so it, it enables us to get a certain amount of revenge, and that seems to satisfy something within us. I, you know, I only just discovered what that something is. I was reading or listening, and somebody said, uh, one of the characteristics of sinners is cruelty. Mm. You know, I'd never thought of that. We usually define sin as transgression of the law or falling short of the glory of God. Uh, we have lots of definitions like that. Jesus said to those who are plotting to kill him, you are of your father, the devil. Yeah. They were cruel and, and the devil is cruel. So, yeah, that makes sense. Well, uh, what's a bit nerve wracking for me is that that means I'm also cruel. Yes. So let's make a distinction between two kinds of justice, namely punitive and restorative justice. So normally justice is regarded as punitive. You must be punished for what you have done wrong. So like sending someone to jail, fining them, uh, solitary confinement, um, 
community service and so on. But then you have another possibility. And uh, when I first came to Red Deer over 20 years ago, I was part of a group that was working on restorative justice. Mm, so tell me what that involves. If the perpetrator is willing um, to participate in this restorative justice, it means they would not have to experience punitive justice. So restorative justice, suppose you stole someone's car. Right. And restorative justice would be, uh, you would go to the owner and apologize for the inconvenience you've caused them and say offer to wash their car uh, once a week and polish it and detail it for them or do garden work for them uh, for a year or two. And uh, so it's an attempt to restore what you have taken from that person. Hmm. Interesting. So you've got the two, there's punitive and restorative justice. Right. It's not that uh, the violation is being overlooked. It's just dealing with it in a uh, creative, productive way. And uh, I don't know the, the figures on the recidivism uh, of uh, restorative justice, but I would imagine that it's far less than punitive justice. I think after going through a process like that of meeting the actual owner and uh, apologizing and meeting with them on an ongoing basis for say a year, that changes the way you think about the victims of your actions. So is this something that is um, done quite often, your involvement in, in restorative justice? No, you know, it takes too much time and effort. And, and, and many people who participate in it uh, aren't really convinced it's the right thing uh, they're just doing it because uh, uh, it's an obligation to look at another possible way of looking at justice. So I remember some of the police officers that met with us. Um, they were willing to give it a try, but in their heart of hearts, they didn't think it was worth the time and trouble. So I'm not blaming them. Uh, I'm part of the problem. It was just too much time and effort to continue with it. It's just easier to slap people in jail and forget about them for six months or a year or two. Hmm. Interesting. So now, now that we know about these two concepts, we might want to think about, uh, so what kind of justice is God involved? Right. And uh, if a God is love, I would think that of those two options, God would opt for restorative justice rather than punitive justice. I would think so. Yeah, because he's got the ability to actually change people's hearts. Yeah, if they're willing. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's this uh, in Revelation 20, it talks about this thousand years um, and the righteous are judging says they sit on thrones. And I actually think this is a time of restorative justice where God uh, works through um, sin and 
the life you've lived here on earth and what it could have been and what it's going to be. Uh, and there's this whole healing process there with the tree of life available and so on. Oh, fascinating. Because it talks about the healing of the nations. Yes. Um, so uh, one of the things about restorative justice is that your point of de departure is that uh, inside of this uh, criminal, let's just call it by its right name, inside of this criminal, there's a better nature that you can appeal to. Right. Um, how, how does God uh, look at us um, six, seven, eight thousand years after Adam and Eve ate the, what do you think, apple? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think so. And I'm certain it was a mango. Oh. Well, they just so taste so much better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, he looks down at us. We never asked to be born here. We had imperfect parents. We went to schools with imperfect teachers and imperfect classmates. And uh, the odds are really stacked against a person on this planet in terms of evil versus righteous. If I imagine myself sitting in, in God's seat, <laughs> which of course is very difficult and unrealistic, but I would be looking for ways to help people deal with their inheritance, not punishing them for something they never chose. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's, it's very, when you really think about it, we could come up with a better plan than that. Yeah, I think so. And we have in some places. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one passage that makes, that I think of immediately is 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 to 21. I think we should read that because this is such a good picture into the way God deals with uh, what we call sin, all the transgression, the evil, the wickedness on this planet. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 to 21. I'm going to ask you to read that. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we, now, we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Sorry, if I can just interrupt you. What it's talking about here is not that you have a 20-year-old body, uh, even though you're 60. Um, it's talking about your attitude, the way you think and feel about other people. Right. That's the new life that's begun in you. Mm-hmm. And read on, please. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, 
no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins, so that we might be made right with God through Christ. I'm looking at this uh, uh, where it says that uh, um, in verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Yes. See, this is, this is the kind of restorative justice um, that we have had little glimpses of on this planet. You know, we need to take responsibility for our own wickedness. Uh, I'm, I'm not questioning that at all. I mean, the whole idea of confession, acknowledgement that you've done wrong is good uh, mental health. Um, uh, and it brings about a maturity in a person. But uh, we're talking about ourselves now. We're not talking about God and the way he sees things. You know, it's very important to separate the way I see things and the way God sees things. Yes. I mean, that's true even for the two of us. Uh, you and I will see things differently. I mean, what, what sort of a car do you drive? I drive a Honda. A Honda. Well, that's not bad. But, uh, you know... Um, I drove a Honda until I awakened to better possibilities. So he has in just uh, a very simple uh, part of our lives, we, we differ. Yes. Um, so that doesn't make me respect you any less uh, or love you any less. It's just there are differences. And the differences between us and God are huge. Mm -hmm. in so many areas so um, there's a longing for justice in all of us um, we want to see things fair which is almost a synonym for justice is that life is fair so God's justice may actually lie in that he doesn't wish to punish us but to heal us of our selfishness or the heal us from our burden of guilt and shame and our inability to imagine the life of happiness and joy he designed us for. It's almost like um, we have this ingrained belief about what's fair. Yeah. Grow up, then they go through a stage of development where it's really important, but that's not fair. They cry out if something happens that they don't like. And, and it, it's like God specializes in being unfair in giving good to people that don't deserve it. Uh -huh. We think of unfairness as, as not getting what we deserve, but God specializes in giving us the good that we don't deserve. Uh -huh. and, and so he, 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 he takes every opportunity he can to be unfair, in our view, to, to bring grace and, and mercy to people that don't really deserve it. So why do you use that word unfair when you could use grace and mercy? 
um, I, I think because it helps helps me realize God doesn't operate on the same rules as I do. He is he's one of the ways that he's different than than I am. Yeah. You know, um, we all have what I call a sense of integrity built into us. Mm -hmm. um, this is a sense of things that um, must be fair. I mean, the most sensitive person to unfairness, uh, injustice, um, are children. I mean, if uh, there's some dissonance between a, a father and a mother, the kids pick that up immediately and use it to their advantage. Yes. Yeah. So um, there's a this, this sense of integrity inside of us cries out for fairness or justice. It's one of the longings of the human heart. Like beauty. Uh, when I say beauty, what do you think of, Warren? I, I think of a mountain scene, a sunset. Uh-huh. Uh, you don't think of a new grand baby? Well, that as well. But that's my second thought, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like they say, they're no ugly babies. Yeah. Yeah. So beauty can be a sunset, a new baby, a painting, a home, a smile, new clothes, or a fancy car. Um, and music and art reflect these longings for beauty. But then we also want to know the truth about love. And that's why we read books and watch movies, because we're trying to get into the other person's head and heart and see how they experience life. And uh, does it resonate with what's happening to us? So those are the longings of the human heart. So punitive justice and revenge are actually Siamese twins. When a victim wants justice, what they really want is revenge. They, they don't want the perpetrator to be uh, counseled and inspired. They want them put away or fined or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like the balance of uh, the scales. If something happens to me that I didn't deserve, then whoever caused that, something needs to happen to them to bring that balance back into, into alignment again. Yeah, I like that. Um, punitive justice or revenge is about balancing the scales by punishing the perpetrator. Yes. Yeah. But uh, restorative justice is about restoring what's been lost by the victim. Right. Yeah, it's a very different focus. One is on, on the perpetrator, the other is on the victim. Yes. So, you know, somebody who was very keen on justice for all, and which included mercy, um, but he was very strong on punitive justice, was King David. So I want you to read Psalm 58 uh, in your best um, expressive voice. This is Psalm 58. Which version are you reading, Warren? The New Living Translation. Okay. Psalms 58, starting at verse 1. Justice, do you rulers know the meaning of the word? Do you judge the people fairly? No. You plot injustice in your hearts. You spread violence throughout the land. These wicked people are born sinners, 
Even from birth, they have lied and gone their own way. They spit venom like deadly snakes. They are like cobras that refuse to listen, ignoring the tunes of the snake charmers, no matter how skillfully they play. Break off their fangs, O God. Smash the jaws of these lions, O Lord. May they disappear like water into thirsty ground, make their weapons useless in their hands. May they be like snails that dissolve into slime, like a stillborn child who will never see the sun. God will sweep them away, both young and old, faster than a pot heats over burning thorns. The godly will rejoice when they see injustice avenged. They will wash their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then at last, everyone will say, there truly is a reward for those who live for God. Surely there is a God who judges justly on earth. Wow. Wow. Strong metaphors. Uh, yeah. Uh, the righteous will be glad when they wash their feet in the blood of their enemies. He wasn't really into restorative justice. <laughs> no. Uh, but he's got a very keen sense of fairness, and yeah. these enemies have to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. So, Warren, I don't know this, but there are people crying out for revenge on you. How do you mean? So, you know, there's some people that are unhappy with you. True. You know, that's um, just life. You can't keep everybody happy. Yeah. So those people would like a little revenge on you. Mm -hmm. Same's true for me. It's same's true for all of us. Okay. So when you read David's Psalm 58 and you say, Amen, Lord, give me justice. Mm -hmm. You asking for hurt on somebody else and you're flying in the face of what Jesus said, do not resist an evil person. Right. Here are some of the different perspectives for those who desire justice. For a framed prisoner, it means longing for the truth to be told. For the abused, it is longing for escape, security, and safety. For a slave, it's a longing for freedom from oppression. For the poor, it's the longing for a little money to have comfort and hope. For the hungry, it is food. For the blind, it's the miracle of sight. For the rich and comfortable, it is the longing to be free from worry and loss. Yeah. So we all have these longings in our hearts, you know, for a better world where there's no injustice. And it really so, depends on who, who the situation of the person that's desiring it as to what, what that justice will look like. For some, it's punitive, but for others, it's restorative. It's it's giving them what they don't have. Like for the blind person, they long for sight yeah. uh, to, to, to get what was taken from them, whether it was intentionally or not. They, they feel like they, and we all, you know, want to have sight. That's one of the gifts that God gives us. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's perspectives on the Old Testament um, that also appeal to restorative justice. Uh, yeah. Because there's a lot of punitive justice. So um, we're going to read a few of these passages 
master. Will you read Isaiah 1 verse 17? Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. That sounds very much like restorative justice to me. Yes, yeah. It's certainly not the traditional view of justice. It's helping those that have been oppressed, defending the cause of the orphans, uh, fighting for the rights of widows. That's what justice in, in God's view really means, which is very different than what we expect. Yeah. So uh, next one is Isaiah 30, verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. He, he rises to show you compassion. And then we have uh, uh, towards the end of Isaiah, Isaiah 58, verse 3 to 7. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. It's quite an indictment of fasting, isn't it? It is. Yes. Yeah. Give to those in need. You want to read Ezekiel 45, 9? This is what the sovereign Lord says. You have gone far enough, O princes of Israel. Give up your violence and oppression and do what is just and right. Stop disposing, dispossessing my people, declares the Sovereign Lord. Yeah. You know, the dictionary definition of just is acting or being in conformity with what is morally upright or good. For God to be just, he must then do what is morally upright for people who have lost fairness, beauty, and truth. So let's think about that for a little bit. We are born on this dark planet and know mostly sorrow, failure, and heartache. We never asked to be born here. When we came to consciousness, we were already caught up in this nightmare of suffering, disease, and death, punctuated by only a few moments of transient joy. We had no choice in the matter of which planet we would like to be born on, and our circumstances on this planet overwhelm us all some of the time. For the sense of suicide is often the only solution. The rest find solace in self-pity, drugs, busyness, gossip, overeating, and hedonism. Periodically, we cry out for justice or redress from the unjust world we live in. 
So what do you think about that characterization I've just read you? I think it's really important to keep that in perspective. When you're asking for justice, you have to know the situation that people are in. Yeah. God, who is impartial, has all of that in mind when he's wanting to bring justice. To be just is to um, be of help to people that are in that disadvantaged environment. Yeah. So um, sometimes you have people who are very angry and use abusive language. It's helpful at that moment to think of why a person would react that way. It's out of this uh, unhappiness in their lives, this feeling of injustice uh, in their lives, that this anger comes pouring out, hopefully just verbally, not also physically. So God's looking down on, on the situation. You know, um, take sports stars who add very little value to the real world and who are filthy rich. And then we have billions of peasant farmers who are honestly dirt poor. So if I was one of these peasant farmers, I wouldn't think there was much justice or fairness in the world. True. Eking out an existence. Does anyone really care for them? Well, in the developed world, another World Cup, another Olympic extravaganza, another fundraising dinner for the rich, another unmarked grave for the poor. Where's the justice? Who cares? That is a, a pain, an ache that we, um, that many people experience all the time. They just live with that. Yeah. And some of them are, are, are around us. You know, God cares to answer the question of who cares. God cares and Jesus cares. And he's the preeminent caregiver together with the Holy Spirit. Now I'm reminded of what Jesus said also in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He said, look at the sparrows, look at the flowers, and remember that God cares for them, but he cares much more for you. Right. So we have an example of this in Matthew chapter 12, if you'll read that, please. Matthew 12, verse 15. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place, Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to, fill, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And then he quotes Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Okay, I just want to stop there. He will proclaim justice to the nations. So what is this justice he's proclaiming? Well, he's healing people. He's feeding people. He's resurrecting the dead. This is the justice he's proclaiming to yes. the nations. And he's, he's liberating them from this cycle of revenge. Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. By saying, look, God sends his son on the righteous and the unrighteous. You must be like that. Bless those who persecute you and those who favor you. 
This is remarkable, this attitude in the kingdom of heaven. John, verse 19. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Thank you. This passage explains that God brought justice to those who lived 2,000 years ago. Jesus opened the gates of heaven for sinners. And to confirm this mission, he healed and comforted the ill and the disadvantaged left, right, and center. This was all indicative of the greater healing from injustice that he had come to bring. Will you read Luke 4, please? Luke 4, 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as, his, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the, sinner, for, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Because they'd heard a remarkable presentation. And then Jesus validated what he had said with his ministry. Yes. All his miracles of healing and comforting were performed unconditionally. In the same way, the ark was opened unconditionally to the antediluvian world. Anyone and everyone could come and experience the salvation or healing of God through Noah. In the same way, Jesus healed entire villages. God knows the pickle we're in. And Jesus came to proclaim justice to the nations. He came to lead justice to victory. He came to restore and save all people from the injustice of sin. He came to bring restorative justice through healing us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. All this he will accomplish in his time. He will bring justice to all. So to go back to our original example with George Bush saying, I'm going to bring justice. Uh, and that meant punishing the people that had caused this terrible tragedy that caused the towers to collapse. Yeah. If God was to be in that situation and bring justice, he would have been concerned about the people that were killed in the towers and resurrecting them back to life, not as concerned about punishing those that had caused the tragedy. Yeah, well, it might even have resurrected the those who caused the tragedy. True. And they, <laughs> that would have been an interesting confrontation. Yeah. So um, when you think about it, how is God going to bring fairness, restorative justice to people like the perpetrators of the destruction of the Twin Towers? How does God treat them fairly? Good question. So um, when you get to Revelation uh, 20 and 21, you have this scene uh, where those who've refused what God's given them 
in terms of eternal life are outside the city and those who have been redeemed are inside the city and uh, those outside are going to attack the city and try and take it for themselves uh, and here's the the gates are open for the city yes but they don't come in mm -hmm. it's like they're given a second chance to change their mind about God. And then you, you get to this passage in Philippians, which says, uh, every knee will bow before him and declare him Lord of Lords and King of Kings, uh, which I interpret to mean that even those outside the city will realize in the way that God has treated them, that God is fair, he went the extra mile to try and get them all inside the city. Yeah. With this strange consequence of sin and so changed their minds and their hearts that uh, they can't believe it's this good. So, you know, if God is going to be declared just, there cannot be one person who thinks he's unjust. And so, Every person who's ever lived has to be present uh, and give their verdict. And this is why Jesus, uh, um, he repeatedly says in John chapter 6, and we have in Revelation 20, 21, that all people who have ever lived on this planet are resurrected. Uh, everybody's given a chance to decide whether God is fair, just, uh, merciful, gracious, whether they want to be saved or not. And uh, that's the only way in a moral universe that God can actually be declared just by, uh, it happens when everybody is in agreement on that. And that's been the question from the beginning of time that, that Lucifer raised that God isn't fair. And he will eventually one day be seen as fair. Yes. So um, I, I really want to make the point that each one of us are crucial to this decision about whether God is just, fair, merciful. We, we need to give a, a clarion witness to how we think of God in terms of moral uh, righteousness. And to do that, it becomes important to see him more clearly than we traditionally have. Uh, yes. Not just ignoring the things that Jesus said, but realize Jesus understood God's heart. He was God. He, he portrays uh, the justice of God in the, the healings that he continued to do to anyone that came to him and and, and, you know, like you said, uh, you know, whole villages, there was not one sick person when he left. So, Warren, the, the problem I run into is that there are some people who believe that Jesus, uh, when he came the first time, represented one side of God, the kind side. Yes. But when he comes again at the second coming, he will represent the just side of God. Yes, that's very very prevalent uh, and then he will destroy sinners 
Yeah. So I want to tell you a story. Well, before you do. Yeah. Your statement there reminds me of a verse in Hebrews. Yes. So in uh, Hebrews 9, verse 27 and 28. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who were eagerly waiting for him. So he's, he's not coming to deal with our sins. He's coming to bring salvation. That's a good point you make there. Who does he bring salvation to? Well, he brings it for all. Unfortunately, there will be some on the outside of the city that will agree that he is just and true, but will not benefit from the salvation that he's offering them. Okay, thank you. Now I'm going to tell you my story. Yes. Okay, 11-year-old Sophie was grounded for visiting the mall with her friend Jenny, who was out permission from her parents. She was watching Jackson, the African gray parrot her parents had owned since before her birth. Jackson could imitate the telephone, the doorbell, calling Kipper the dog so well that even her parents were taken in some of the time. As Sophie watched Jackson climbing around in his cage, she thought about her own plight of being grounded. Jackson had been grounded all his life. Never once had he flown over trees and shrubs like his wild relatives did in the Turi forest of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. All his life had been spent cooped up in a metal cage with water, a few seeds, and an occasional piece of fruit. What went on in his mind if he had one, Sophie wondered. Sophie tried to imagine how she would cope in a metal cage a few times bigger than herself with all the world watching her do what she had to do from time to time. No privacy, except when darkness came. What would go on in her brain? Sophie was excited to think these thoughts. She was sure she would be angry watching other humans come and go as they please. She was also sure that she would yell and scream at first, but then later as she tired, she would whine and plead for freedom from the cage. This must be what prison is like, she thought. Her cage would be like a glass jail cell every day, all day. Then she remembered having heard that even prisoners in solitary confinement were allowed an hour a day for exercise, often in the fresh air. Jackson had no such privileges. His wing feathers were cut so he could come out of the cage and not be able to fly away. When Jackson was occasionally allowed out, he chewed on the blinds or bit the ear of the person on whose shoulder he sat or chewed on any soft fabric around. Jackson also left his calling card on the furniture and the floor. Since no one really enjoyed cleaning up or fixing up after Jackson, he spent most of the time in the cage. Sophie wondered if Jackson had been really that bad as a young parrot to earn the punishment of being grounded in a cage for the rest of life. It didn't seem fair to Sophie who was grounded for two days. Then she remembered that Jackson had been born in captivity. So what was the reason Jackson was grounded for life? So Sophie thought about that for a long time and couldn't come up with any answer that satisfied her 11-year-old brain. It seemed very unfair to her. 
She thought about letting Jackson out of the cage, but this would be cruel since Jackson could not fly with his wing feather cut short. How would Jackson survive the eagles and hawks around? How would Jackson survive the teenage boys in the neighborhood with their BB guns? A thought entered Sophie's head. Perhaps her parents were protecting her from eagles and hawks that preyed on teenage girls. She quickly forgot about such cowardly thoughts. She and Jenny could take on anyone. They often took on older boys and even took on the teachers at school and defended themselves very well. They usually came off best. It was 5 p.m. and soon her family would be back and she would forget about Jackson and spend her time and energy trying to negotiate a reduction in the time left for her grounding. Perhaps she could negotiate the remaining day down to just the afternoon. Grounding really slowed time down, made life miserable. It was boring, to say the least. She thought briefly of Jackson, but very briefly. He seemed happy enough spitting sunflower holes onto the floor and clicking his bill. Grounded for life, was there any justice for Jackson? She would rather die than be caged for life. That's a great story. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, we just accept that animals that we keep in cages want to be kept there. So let's think about punishment, consequences, and justice. Okay. Death and the second coming of Jesus Christ are not a punishment or justice for sinners from God. It is the opening of Jackson's cage with the resurrection to the expansive freedom of innocence, joy, and happiness that is the justice of God. It is the beginning of the life that God planned for us to have the life that was stolen from us by the serpent in the garden many millennia ago. We are grounded by the actions of our first parents. And there's no justice in being punished for an affliction not of our own choosing, like Down syndrome or post-traumatic stress or Parkinson's or fetal alcohol syndrome or just plain sin. I can understand this, and I'm not kinder than God. You know that Jesus wept that uh, very short uh, verse in John chapter 11 might turn out to be the most significant statement in the Bible concerning the character of God. He understands our desperate situation and is, the, is in the healing or delivering business, not the blaming or condemning business. Amen. So, you know, one of the... Um, pictures that people who want God to have punitive justice is found in Revelation 19, where Jesus comes riding on a white horse with blood on his uniform and a sword in his mouth. And they say this is when Jesus comes in his other role as uh, to take uh, legitimate revenge on sinners. But he's not coming. The battle's already been won, you know, because the blood on his uh, uniform and he's carrying the sword in his mouth. No soldier carries a sword in his mouth going to battle. He's got it out and he's waving it around. He's ready for violent action. He's coming to deliver us 
from our cage, to deliver us from being grounded forever and ever. And this is the true justice of God. Yes. So hear now how God brought justice to us, according to the mind of the Apostle Paul. You want to read Romans 3 from verse 21, please? But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophet testify. This righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I want to interrupt you. You know, that verse... Um, <clears throat> 23, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've heard that quoted literally hundreds of times. And the next verse, I've heard quoted less times than fingers on my one hand. Mm. Isn't that a tragedy? Yes. Just read that verse 24 again, please. 24 says, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Thank you. So just is right in there. Yes. Justified, justice. So the word justified, justify means to declare innocent. I remind you that if you say to me, Ian, you were traveling at 200 kilometers an hour. And I say to you, um, Warren, that's not possible. My dear wife was in the car. <laughs> I'm not asking for forgiveness. I am declaring my innocence. I am justifying myself mm -hmm. that I wasn't traveling that, that speed. Justify does not mean you are asking for forgiveness. Justify means you are being declared innocent. Yes. So, but I think you know, on the one hand, verse 23 is saying, yeah, we've all sinned. Yeah. It almost needs a but, but are justified freely by his grace. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. verse 25, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that as a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there was only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. <laughs> I love it when Paul says that because he knows he's presented the argument for faith and mercy and justification so powerfully that people are going to conclude that the law is a waste of time. Yes. And uh, so he has to put that little caveat in 
at the end. So this righteousness or rightness before the law means perfect obedience from the moment of birth to the instant of death. For a sinner to claim righteousness would be grossly false. Yet this perfect obedience is the qualification for heaven. The standard cannot be lowered because this would place heaven in jeopardy. So God gives sinners this perfect righteousness. This act of God is called justification and means that he declares them innocent of any wrongdoing. It is if they have never sinned. This is how God views the matter. Now, faith is seeing the situation with God's eyes rather than our own eyes, which are full of condemnation and judgment. It is this attitude of God that makes him just and the justifier of believing sinners. Amen. You know, this is actually quite hard to believe. It raises all sorts of questions. So if God declares you just, innocent of any wrongdoing um does that make you that way mm. you know human beings have a wonderful way of rising to the expectations people have of them there have been people in your life who had high expectation for you and you knew about it and you wanted to prove them right right i had a mother like that you know she uh, would never acknowledge that she believed any wrong that was reported about me by teacher or relatives she just said that's not you Ian. you couldn't possibly have done that but she knew she was lying and i knew she was lying but <laughs> because <laughs> she had this view of me you know i it changed my it changed me because I wanted to be what she believed me to be. Right. So when we realize God treats us this way um, and gives us the status, just as if we had never sinned, this creates a great desire in our hearts uh, to be that way. So justice is always costly. Justice cost God his beloved and only son that every sinner might be saved from the hopelessness of this planet. Jesus came to love us to the uttermost, to demonstrate the justice of God. If he had stopped short of the worst that has ever happened on the planet, someone could claim God did not understand his suffering. And so God could not be fair and just to him or her. This is not only good news, but stunning, superb, sensational, supreme good news. Too mm. good, far too good to be kept secret or private. I, I have to tell somebody. I have to tell somebody now. I have to tell somebody tomorrow and tomorrow and the next day. And thank you for listening, Warren. Yes. Because I had to tell you. Good. So the implications of this justice, this restorative justice, of God. What is our part? Well, God has lifted us out of this chaotic environment through the inspirational life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, Ian Hartley, do you believe this? If you believe it, 
your whole life will change because you have heaven in your heart. And this perspective affects the way you think and feel and so finally your actions. You become an ardent, I become an ardent ambassador for the God who brought us justice through his son. I become the salt, you become the salt of the earth, the light on the hill. This is the choice we have in the chaos called earth. One day, all this chaos will be ordered in God's way and we'll have a new earth. You can be there, I can be there. God means us to be there. God wants us to be there. This is God's marvelous restorative justice. And so I call out, even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Dear God, I'm happy to be in your presence with Warren and listeners to this podcast. In your presence, we remember that you have no condemnation, no desire to punish us. Your only thought is to get us back to where you always wanted us, as your innocent, loving, compassionate, royal children so that we can sit on your throne and care for the whole universe. We apologize for the many things that we have said about you that are not true. We do want to tell the truth about you because we know the truth about you sets men and women free from their own poor self-images, their own feelings of hopelessness, and gives them life and love and laughter, even now. How wonderful you are. We worship you. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this journey to understand the God that Jesus knew. And if you'd like to share this with friends, we'd appreciate that. In fact, we have created a new website called rediscoveringgod.ca. You can refer your friends to that site, and they can see all the podcasts that we have produced so far, and the ones uh, in the future will be posted there uh, you can make comments, you can join us in a dialogue and a conversation so that we can discover what difference this is making for you or any questions that you have that we can endeavor to answer or perhaps address in a future podcast. So that's rediscoveringgod.ca. In addition to the website, we've also created a WhatsApp site called Rediscovering God. So if you're on WhatsApp or would like to join us, uh, just search for us there or send me an email at WKAY, S as in Sam, IX, at gmail.com. And I'll be glad to add you to our group and we can continue the dialogue there.